Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harms. Now on to today's episode. Good morning. Good morning. Just give me a couple of seconds to get through the intro. I apologize for all the issues, okay? No worries. We we should we should we should start any minute. I'm not sure what's happening, Audrey. We're gonna edit this part out. Um I called you all those times when I was on there and I was talking through my microphone and I wasn't hearing anything. I've done over 300 episodes and, you know, this morning when my, my dear sweet Audrey's on the phone with me, everything goes kaplooey. Um Okay, so what we're going to do is um, we're going to wait five seconds then I'm going to welcome people to the show. Well, I've got an opening piece of music. We'll play the opening piece of music. I'll welcome people to the show. I'll read your bio, and then we'll get into conversation. Okay. Does that sound good? I I just I'm so flustered because this has never happened before. Okay. Oh, don't be flustered. (laughs) All right. Five seconds of silence. Welcome to E E N Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harms. Now on to today's episode. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to EEN Moms Talk. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, Director of Women's Ministries for the Evangelical Environmental Network, and I am really super, super excited um, about this conversation today because Audrey Peterman and I have known each other. She's actually one of the first people um, I met when I started blogging all those years ago, but we won't say how many years because we're the same age when we, as when we met. Um, and <laughs> she, right, she is an amazing, amazing um, champion for our national park system and, as you know, the Evangelical Environmental Network, if you're following us online, has been doing a lot of work to make sure that we keep those national parks. So let me give you a little bit of a background, and then we'll go into the conversation. Audrey Peterman is nationally recognized as a leader in the movement to make America's prized public land a household world. Known and loved by a broad spectrum of our population, Mrs. Peterman and her husband, Frank, have visited more than 200 of the most scenic and historically significant national parks forests, and wildlife refugees, and has spent more than two decades writing, speaking, and advocating for their protection. Mrs. Peterman served five three-year terms on the board of the National Parks Conservation Association and has served on multiple other conservation-focused boards. She and her husband founded the Diverse Environmental Speakers Bureau, which which makes leaders available for speaking and training engagements. They share their experiences in the book Legacy on the Land, a black couple Couple Discovers Our Inheritance and Tells Us Why Everyone Should Care, and the book Our True Nature, 
finding a zest in life in the national park system. The Petersmans blended family includes six children and 20 grandchildren. Awards and recognition include the Environmental Hero Award 2000 from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be with you. So I want to I wanna brag on you for a minute because I called Audrey yesterday. I, I contacted her two months ago and called her yesterday, and she was able to do the show this morning. So I really, really appreciate that flexibility and um, – are just it's y'all gonna just love Audrey. She's such a joy. Uh, Audrey, tell us how you and Frank got interested in in national parks. <laughs> well, it was absolutely by a stroke of luck, and I have to say I am particularly excited to be on your program today because mothers have the most amazing responsibility and privilege of anyone in society. We have the opportunity to mold young lives and to um, give them a foundation in nature, which is one of the best things that we can do to raise people who actually care about protecting creation. So I just had to give that little shout out. But to explain how Frank and I got um, uh, involved with the National Park System, first of all, I have to tell you that Frank and I have been married for 25 years now, and I still think he is the most amazing man on earth. And... um, When we got married, he was thinking about moving to Belize in Central America because he had seen a program on TV about how much the Belizean people love their land and their wildlife and how they think that it's the most wonderful thing they have to leave for their children. Well, we thought, you know, friends thought, okay, well, that's the kind of place I want to live. And so shortly after we got married, we went down to Belize to check it out, and we fell madly in love with it. But then, um, the day before we came back, Frank was talking to a local Belizean man, and they got to talking about cowboy movies as they both grew up in that era when, you know, cowboy movies were very much on television, and most of the movies were were um, shot in ve- these very scenic places out west called the Badlands. So they got to talking about the Badlands, and the gentleman said to Frank, so what do the Badlands look like? And Frank said, "Uh, I don't know. I've never seen them. And the Belizean said, but wait a minute, but you're American. You live in America, right? And Frank said, yes, but I've never been to the Badlands. So the gentleman must have rolled his eyes, and then he said, okay, all right, what does the Grand Canyon look like? And Frank said, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. And so on that note, when we came home, we decided, you know what, we can't go to Belize or anybody else's country because we don't know our own country. So we decided to take a couple of months off and just drive around the country and go to those places, you know, that millions of people come from all over the world to see. And many Americans, including us, had never seen. So, yeah, that's how it started. Well, and I just have to share with you that um, my father and my nephew and I drove to the Grand Canyon this year. Um, really? Summer, yes, for summer vacation, we did the Great American Road Trip. And I where did you start? Where did you start? Mobile. We started in Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Um, okay. And really long drive. <laughs> it was a long drive. Um, but I had seen it as as a high schooler, and the beauty out there is so stunning. I I really wanted to cry. You know, I'm I'm like I'm almost like I don't want to say it's wasted on high schoolers. 
but um, and they just experience it in a completely different way. But as an adult, I, it's just stunningly beautiful, and I, I, you can't even describe how beautiful it is, right? And um, and the pictures, you know, yeah, you can look at pictures, but it just doesn't explain it. But in all fairness to you and Frank, I mean, our country's a little bit bigger than Belize. <laughs> Yes, well, the Grand Canyon is one of the seven natural wonders of the world, you know, and we have it driving distance. And, you know, about the teenage thing, we took our grandchildren, we took four of our grandchildren to the Grand Canyon, Zion and uh, Bryce, when they were, um, I guess they were, they ranged in age from 14 to four. And guess what? Our grandson, who was a teenager at that point, called us from the Grand Canyon last, well, actually in December, and said, I am just calling to tell you I just brought my girlfriend out here and proposed to her, and she said yes. Oh, how now, wonderful. He would never, he would never, exactly, he would never have thought of going to the Grand Canyon, you know, if we had not introduced him. Yeah, it's not wasted on teenagers or anyone, I don't think. It's a planted seed that I have to see grow. You know, there was a lot of conversation in our car. I have to be honest. Like, put the phone down. Put the phone down. Put the phone down. <laughs> you know, w- look at you know, watch and see what see where we are. But I love it. So I'm I'm excited to know that that I've planted a seed in my nephew's heart, and hopefully he'll go back yes. out. And, um, that I love that. I, that's you know, it's funny because you know you think of proposals and I mean, how sweet and tender that um, he. Uh, you know, wanted to go back. Yes, exactly. Um, that mm-hmm. is just super, super awesome. So so y'all went and visited a couple, and then it sort of got serious. And now oh. you've been over, <laughs> right, all over the country. Yes. So I just have to share with your listeners, imagine we just had a little Ford truck, okay? All it had was the front seat, so we were in that truck, and, we, and Frank bought some camping, a tent, and some um, sleeping bags and pads and hiking boots. And we packed them into the back of the Ford. And so imagine driving from the Atlantic Ocean in Florida, okay, to the Pacific Ocean in Washington State. Oh, my goodness. And and all the countries that you see in between, I mean, it makes you feel so blessed to be an American, so blessed to be alive, and so fortunate to be an American, you know? Well, and you know what? That's exactly what I thought when I finished. In fact, I cried from Mobile to Atlanta when I just was in the car by myself because I cried <laughs> out of gratitude, right? It was, yeah. We have an amazing, amazing country. Yes, yes. And so I think that um, a big challenge for conservation in America is that we really have not uh, engaged the full spectrum of the American public and let them know about these fabulous places that they, you know, own, for want of a better word, because our tax dollars pay for them and they're so affordable. And you know, we went out intending to camp, but we did not realize, and many people still don't know, that you don't have to camp and rough it to enjoy the national parks, that there are, you know, five-star hotels in the parks or, you know, right in the towns, right outside the parks, you know? Right. People well, don't know that. And so, 
yeah, grateful for, right? Because we are not, my family is not campers, period. Right, 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 right. So I have to tell you, so first we got up to Acadia, right, in Maine. That was our first stop in 1995. And driving into uh, Acadia National Park, driving into the town of Bar Harbor, first of all, it's so beautiful. All the white buildings just splashed against the blue ocean. And then the park, it's like, it's like a hula dancer, you know, because there's this huge mountain jutting out in the middle of it, but around the fringes are, are all the forests, so it looks like a grass skirt. <laughs> and as we drove into the park and drove up the mountain, around and around and around, I mean, the clouds were suddenly below us, and we were above the clouds, and still we kept going. And we could see the Atlantic thudding out there on one side, and then on the other side, it was all placid, and there were these little well, almost like little lakes with tree islands in them and the sun shining down and sparkling. It was the most amazing experience I had ever had in my entire life. And I'm Jamaican, so I'm accustomed to beautiful places. So, (laughs) you know, but that's when I really had an epiphany where I looked out at all of that beauty that was untouched by human hand, and I thought, Oh, my goodness, the same entity, the same God that made all of that beauty and perfection also made me and everything else. Wow. So I'm just going to accept myself and everything else as beautiful and perfect. And I have continued feeling that way. Yes, I've continued feeling that way for the, you know, 23 years since then. So it really helps my perspective, you know. Well, and, you know, we're, as modern, you know, humans, um, we, I think we are culturally missing that, that connection to what God created for us. And it's so easy to get it back, though. We have a friend, um, Reverend Gerald Durley in uh, Atlanta. He's very wonderful. And he told us, you know, he he told us he'd been in the ministry for more than 40 years and he was really on the issue of human rights and justice. And then he said um, he was not really concerned about the environment until he got an invitation from Laura Turner Seidel to come right. to a meeting. And he said he went to the meeting largely because, you know, he um, respects her and he wanted to honor her request. And that was, I think, in, 19, in the mid-2000s. Uh, and he said what he learned about global warming and uh, climate change changed his life. But the other thing that he also said is now he's aware of the small parks in his neighborhood. And he went to, um, he went to a park called Cascade Nature Springs, where we took a lot of people for a hike when we lived in Atlanta. And he mm-hmm. said, imagine I passed that place every day and I didn't realize what was in there. But there's a waterfall and trees and beauty. So my point is, you don't have to go to a national park necessarily to, you know, to um, see and experience God's beauty and the beauty of God's creation. It's right in your neighborhood. But at the same time, the national parks give you such a big view. A big view. And the amazing thing about it, well, the other amazing thing about it is I felt like 
oh my goodness, I am so small, and yet I am part of something so huge. So it feels like being connected to God at the same time that you realize how small you are as a human. It's an incredible feeling. Well, and I think the other thing is, is is when you realize how small you are compared to God's creation, and yet God still wants to have relationship with us and still wants to Isn't that amazing? Put, us these, right, put us in these places of beauty to show us what he's created for us, right? I mean, it's just gratitude. I mean, like, to me, it's like National Park, hashtag gratitude, right? <laughs> it just sums it all up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And here's something I want to share. The other day I came to this realization because, you know, I don't know if you know that Frank and I um, bought a sailboat and we live aboard in Fort Lauderdale. So I did know that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so a little while ago I was sitting on the back of the boat and looking down in the water and just mesmerized by this these needlefish going by. And suddenly I thought, oh, my goodness. Imagine this. When I was a child in Jamaica, I used to slip away from home and run down the street and across the Brother Sam's yard and go down to the banks of the river and sit there for hours watching the little fish and shrimp in the water, listening to the wind, you know, just being peaceful in nature. And now here I am, 66 years old, and I'm doing the same thing. So how did that happen? You know, it's like, who organized that? And I really see the hand of God in my life because, you know, how I came by this is so, I, di- I didn't have anything to do with it, you know. Right. Well, and it is, it is amazing, right? If you, if you really start to, so I have this huge Christmas tree in my front yard and it's, it's like almost 30 feet tall now. And the pine cones it puts out are teeny tiny. They're like the size of my um, my pinky fingernail. You know, you'd think a big tree like that would put out really big pine cones, but they don't. It's just these tiny little pine cones. And every time I look at one of those pine cones, I think, gosh, if if God would take such care to create something so cute and so tiny that can grow such a big tree, you know. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, but but I think, unfortunately, the problem is, for the challenge for many of us is we get caught, so caught up in our day-to-day lives, and truly, day-to-day life can be very tiring and, you know, exasperating. I mean, people have to do a lot, people with children, people who don't make enough to live comfortably on, people working two and three jobs. I mean, how much time do you get to stand around or sit around and look, just look out and and contemplate nature. But I heartily recommend that people just sit under a tree. Just start taking notice of your circumstances, where you are, your surroundings, you know, and just feel the power and the glory and the beauty of God. I think that's an excellent idea. I really do. So um, I do want to get back to the fact, though, that y'all, like, traveled to all those national park systems and you wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, although, I mean, really, we could sit here and talk about the connection of God and nature all day. I'm convinced. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, re- I really want to um, honor that work that y'all did. And, and so, what are some of the some of the things that, like, like, gosh, we need to we need to tell people about this. What what happened? I mean, 
did you you know was it the you know was it Arcadia or you know did you go to several parks? What what happened to say we're well, going to the book? After, well, you know, in Arcadia we saw a black woman, one black woman who had come in a bus from New York, and it didn't really mean anything to us because you know uh, we only we only recognized it afterwards, right? So mm-hmm. then from Arcadia, we went to Niagara Falls, and we really were not very impressed because once you've seen the power and majesty and beauty of God in nature, you know, something that's man, you know, engineered, and, you know, a lot of engineering went into um, into Niagara Falls, although it's a natural fall. But we were just right. really not that impressed because we'd just seen Acadia. And so <laughs> we kept going and went to the Badlands National Park. Oh, Beth. If you haven't been to the Badlands, you should really hasten there. Because this park is like it's like the earth gathered itself up and formed its own pyramids and temples and the vistas of it's like it's like a sandy soil but it's the colors are purple and blue and gray. It's just, I saw Frank's jaw drop practically down to his chest, and I know I was standing there open mouth when we first saw it the first time. And I've been back like five or six times. It's just, you just have to see to believe it, because no description can approach it. And then, of well, course, we went, hmm I was going to say, you know, it's funny, because that's how I felt about the Grand Canyon. Like, I, I, how do you describe it? You just can't. Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. The Grand Canyon is solid rock. I mean, right, it's rock, it's shaly, it's, it's you know, it's a, but the, the, the um, Badlands is the exact opposite. It's like soft material. That's <gasps> the thing that also fascinates me. Yeah, it's not a hard thing. It's like soft. It's like, like if you climb the pyramids, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like breaking off under your feet because it's, it's sandy. So, you know, God created those two very, very different um, landscapes. And listen to this. Then we went on up to the Black Hills and passed. We went by um, the, what's the name of the, fire, the, the, the one with the president? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Again, Mount Rushmore did not do anything for us because it's man-made. But the mountains that it's in, the, you know, hard granite mountains, that was pretty spectacular. And we saw our first mountain goat just um, after we left the the Mount Rushmore. Beautiful white, 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 and a, a male and a female and, a, and a, a young goat, a baby goat. Oh, my goodness. And all of the people came out of their cars or left their cars in the middle of the road to um, follow the, the goats with their camera. You know, the people with their cameras followed the goats up into the woods. It was so funny. But you just don't expect to see that driving down the highway, you know. Right. No, we saw elk. Yes. Like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then we went to Yellowstone, baby, Yellowstone. You know, I had always thought that um, Old Faithful was the only geyser in Yellowstone because that's what everybody talks about, right? Imagine my shock and amazement to find that Yellowstone has more than half of all the geysers on planet Earth. What? It's a whole bunch. Yes. Yes. Yellowstone has more than half of all the geysers on planet Earth. So it's like guys are here, guys are here, guys are, guys are everywhere. And then the thing that fascinated me too was how is it that the largest mammals on the continent, you know, the bison, the elk, the moose, 
these large animals, how did they evolve in this incredible place that is so, some places the earth is as fragile as a potato chip. You know, some places you just can't go because if you stepped on it, you would go down into boiling water. Oh. How did they evolve there, you know? And you right. don't hear that much about um, animals getting, you know, getting trapped in, in boiling water. You really don't, considering the number of animals and the number of geysers. So that, and it was when we got to, when we, when we got to Yellowstone, I said to Frank, wait a minute. Okay, so we saw Acadia National Park, Badlands National Park, Yellowstone National Park. What is a national park? Because I thought that these beautiful places we were seeing were just beautiful places. I did not know that they were part of a system of national parks that extends all around the country. I didn't know that. And that's when we also noticed that there were no black people and no Hispanic people and no, um, just no Americans of color at all, no Native Americans even. So we were like, wait a minute, what is wrong with this picture? And that's when we decided um, that we needed to do something about that. So we continued going around the country. I mean, did you you even, I'm sorry, you go. I was just going to say, I mean, we're all God's children. And I just know exactly. it breaks his heart, right? It just breaks his heart how segregated we still are. Yeah, but you know what? It's changing, though. What, the thing that we found out was people did not really know about the national parks, nor did they feel invited, nor did they know what they could do there. And, you know, it wasn't long ago that, you know, non-white people were not welcome in the woods. Some people still feel that they are not welcome, you know, in certain places. But... We never had a negative experience. And so I just say to people, hey, go on out and uh, explore your country. Because if you don't know the country, why would you be motivated to protect, you know, these natural places? Because you don't understand the benefit and the value of them until you're in them and you see what it does for you and feel it. Okay, that's a, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk some more about it. That's a, a, a great – people can sort of think about that while we're during our break. Hold on one sec. Excellent. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EEN Moms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore Moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. And we're back with Audrey Peterman, and I hope you all are enjoying this. Can you feel her passion? I just love it. It's it's such a blessing. (laughs) Audrey, I want to wake up with you every morning. Give me that. Give me that <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's just wonderful. I guess I've been listening to the podcast over and over and over. So um, I want to talk a little bit about um, your because you've done a lot of work. I mean, we've we've we spent the first half of the show talking about the beauty, the beauty and the majesty and the relationship of of God and the creation of of this amazing country that we have. But um, there's there's a reason that um, you're doing all this work. I mean, you know, we haven't really gotten to the work yet, and we'll, and we'll get there. But tell, tell us about your family. Oh, 
So my husband Frank and I have a blended family, including six children, three girls and three boys, and now uh, 20 grandchildren, 20 grandchildren, and five great-grandchildren. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. So I have to tell amazing. you that, you know, yes, and really they motivate and drive my work because I, I just can't stop thinking that in 20 years or 30 years when they are facing challenges for the basic stuff of life, like clean water and, you know, I mean, I mean, air that's not going to suffocate them. And, you know, um, the, the exigences that will be caused by climate change. I just, I have to know that I did everything that I could to wake up everybody that I could to say, look, the earth, nature is our life support system. You know, the trees provide us with oxygen. We breathe it in. We need it for our life. Then we breathe out carbon dioxide that's polluted. The trees absorb it, cleanse it, and give it back to us as fresh air. I mean, what an amazing relationship God built into this orb. So as we're cutting down trees, as we're looking to ditch and dike and mine and burn and pollute the atmosphere more than it already is, you know, I just have to stand as a voice, you know, for upholding our values. The values of the park system, the park service is to protect these treasures for the benefit and enjoyment of this and future generations. As there right now, there's a widespread effort to undercut the protections, to undo them, to dismantle them, you know, to drill in Parkland, to build roads in the Arctic where we have striven for, you know, 40 years not to have roads built in there and all the development that will come behind that, you know. So my point for the last 20-something years and Frank's point has been inform people of the beauty take them out as much as you can to show it to them so they have a connection to it, and then give them the information that will help them easily make a difference to their elected officials, to Congress, to the president, you know? So that's been our focus. Yeah, and, and, and that's really what I want to spend a little time talking about in the second half is, um, unfortunately, with the current administration, um, we know that Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante, which is basically um, southwest and south-central Utah, um, uh, President Obama put um, over a million acres in each one of those parks for protection. And, of course, the, our current administration um, repealed those. Um, and, and I know for people are like, well, you know, a million acres, and it, and it, and it is an enormous amount of acreage. But can I know you worked on this issue. Can you tell us why we need to protect, you know, one point, I think it's 1.8 million in Bears Ears and 1.2 million in Grand Sierra Escalante. I'm probably off, but it's, it's something like that. Tell us why it's so important to protect that much land. I am part of something called the Next 100 Coalition of Racially Diverse Leaders from around the country. And we worked along with the Native American tribal leaders uh, to get Beer's Ears designated as a national monument. So um, the attempt to reduce it, you know, and the, 
or the, the attempt to reduce acreage in the national park system and in the public land system in general is anathema to me. Now, I will say that to put it in the most simple and practical terms, think about this. When um, Europeans came here, what was it, in the 1400s? So let's say 500 and something years ago, right? Imagine wow. the vast amount of wildlands that we had to provide for the functions of life, right? In fact, right. you know, the, 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 the rivers were so clean that, you know, you could just drink out of a, a mountain stream, right? In fact, some of the mountain streams even ran with gold, okay? Clear sparkling water, including gold. Now, just think about today. Almost half of the American population buys bottled water, and we don't even know where that comes from, right? So right. my point is it looks like a long view. It looks like we have a lot. But when you think of the frenetic development that's now taking place in our country, it, is, it would seem very important for those places that have already gone through the long process of getting them included in protect, as part of the protected land system, that they be allowed to remain there. Why? Our population is growing. There is more of nature falling under the Development Act. Unless we have some places that are protected. What did I say? The parks are supposed to be protected for the benefit of this and future generations. Unless we have some places that are off limits to development, my God, we're going to leave our country a trashed hellscape. You know, in 50 years, what will it be like? In 75, in 100, you know? Right. Because we now have more tools that can dig up and, you know, and, um, and really destroy large acreage. So thank God that our forefathers had the vision to set land aside. We need to be able to keep land for the benefit of this and future generations. And once it's already in the public domain, the public should have a vested interest in making sure, you, no, you cannot take this out. You, you cannot drill in the national m monuments. You can't explore for gold, as I know is being doing now, or, you know, whatever metals. You can't dig for oil. Do you know when you dig for oil, the kind of development that that um, attracts? The kind of, you know, the, the, just think of the pads that have to be put on for the trucks and the loaders and the drillers and the, all of that, all of that. Is that what we want for our national parks? No. Well, and, and that's not know, what I want for my grandchildren. No, and, you know, I keep on saying, you know, God gave us the, uh, the biggest energy source that's renewable. And, and, and clearly there's been growth. But still, there's so much growth to go. I mean, like, why wouldn't you harvest the sunshine that falls on the earth every single day? I, it always confuses me why people don't sort of get that. Like, you know, well, God gave us this energy in the ground. Yeah, but you've got to destroy well, God's ground to get it when you could just put you know a panel out and collect the sun and there's no destruction. Well, I no longer think that people don't understand I don't, I don't think that people, I, I can't imagine that there's anybody who doesn't understand now. Because you can see it in the devastating storms and earth, I mean, uh, weather-related events that are accelerating now, right? We're having to have right. new names for, what the heck is a bomb cyclone, you know? Um, what is a derecho? All of these, all of these uh, weather things that are so um, 
devastating that we're having to come up with new names for them. All of these things I read about, you know, in 2005 that would be coming as a result of the change in climate. That, you know, climate change means increasing incidence and, uh, and strength, devastation of natural or unnatural weather events. That's what climate change means. And we are seeing it. So I can't really believe that people are, people don't see it. I believe that, you know, that what, that statement that says you can wake up a person who is asleep, but you cannot wake up a person tending to be asleep. Mm. So I don't really put out much energy trying to convince anybody now of anything, you know, I just show right. here's what it is. You can see it with your own eyes. You can see it on the weather channel. You can see it on the news. You can see it in your backyard, in your neighborhood. You know, you can see it. If you refuse to see it, that's on you. It's okay. But so, I'm pretty you know, sure the new I'm narrative. Think, sorry, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of the Bible. There's a Bible verse that talks about, like, um, you know, willfully being blind, right? I just exactly, right exactly, now. exactly. The new narrative, you know, is that, look, Whatever's in the ground, leave it in the ground because we have already pushed our planet's temperature to fever heights. So to dig more and drill more and burn more is just going to send us over the edge. So that's just my basic, um, you know, outlook on anything that has to do with, um, you know, uh, breaching the integrity of our public land system. Why? Why? That's like raising uh, your green. college fund to buy a drug. Right. But it's greed, which there's plenty of stuff in the Bible about greed. Um, and, I mean, I just, I don't think we can't call it anything but that at this point, right? I mean, as things are revealed to us, um, it's, it's just greed. And, I mean, uh, there's so many instances in the Bible that warn us against greed. And yet, I mean, it just, it seems like it's, we're going the opposite way, right? It's instead of becoming less greedy, we're just it's accelerating and becoming more and more greedy. Which, by the way, you know, we now know um, the primary reason for the redu- the million acre. Let me say that again: one million acres reduction of bears ears. Uh, that uh, it's um, all about. Um, it was all about oil drilling, and. You know, I love the fact that you talk about upholding our American values. And I'm like, when did upholding our American values, the number one thing become greed and drilling? I don't don't get it. Well, you know, I don't even think in terms of greed because I am relentless in my mental hygiene. I don't even allow a negative thought to take hold in my mind or even a negative word. So, you know, instead of thinking about greed, I think about And the greatest of these is love. I fell in love with the national parks when I saw them. I fell in love with myself when I saw the national parks. I fell more in love with God as a result of seeing the national parks, you know, as a result of being attuned to nature. So to me, it is love that is driving my actions. It is love that will drive people to uphold and protect. It is the love of our children and our grandchildren which I think will stimulate us to action, you know. So I'm not going to invest any um, emotion or energy at all in thinking about, you know, people's negative emotions to action. I just want to oppose love. And that is such a good lesson for us, right? Because, yes. I mean, yes. I, I feel like, you know, my mental health 
Um, first of all, when we had three Cat 5 hurricanes in, in six weeks, um, my family's from the Gulf Coast. And so we, I, it really became clear to me that there is, we, you know, we, we have PSGD. We have post-traumatic syndrome. We survived yes. a numerous amount of hurricanes, and it really affected the, the mental well-being of my family. Even though you, we know God got it right, it, yes. it really, yes. really affected us. And we don't talk about oh, that. Oh, I can we imagine. I can imagine. Right? Um, yes. And then, you know, with the current situation, you know, and there's just so many things to talk about that I'm not going to talk about any of it. But, you know, in the current situation where we're just sort of bombarded with, with what you say, negative news, it's really, really hard to stay positive. And I think that's where I am failing that, I just need to keep on getting back to the word because God tells us over and over and over, you know, he's got this. Your job is to love everybody and be a reflection of me. And, you know, you know, through that love, great things can come. Yes. And you know what? It's so wonderful when you live, you know that and you live that. Somebody said to me once, what is the difference between belief and knowing? And I don't know what I said, but they said, you know what? Do you believe the sun is going to rise tomorrow? I said, I know it. You know, that's the difference between believing and knowing. So I know from just looking at my life that God is so in charge. I know from looking at the world, you know, from seeing the sun rise in the morning and knowing that actually the sun is not moving. It's the earth that's turning on its axis, you know, turning different parts of itself, you know, to the sun even as it's revolving around the sun, my God, think about, think about how that is happening. Who is keeping that in control? It's not me. It's not you. Okay. So we never have to question the power of God. Yes. I appreciate the challenges and the suffering that your, um, your family has gone through. And I don't know what I would be saying if I, you know, had had to go through it. Right. Right. However, I do say, in prayer and thanksgiving, you know, all things are made right. That, that, well, we are preaching this morning, aren't we? Hey, I love it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is, it's just so profound. And and honestly, I'm going to say, I said this last week too, people that God has put into my life that we can have these amazing conversations, right? Yes, I mean, yes. It's just, I just, it's just lovely. Um. So I want us to wrap up um, with a little bit of a lighter thing because um, yes. so I want to talk about some fun, some more sort of fun things. So, all right, so y'all been to over 200 national parks, forests, wildlife refugees. I can't even imagine. It's amazing. Refugees. Um, Wait. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your favorite? Do you, Frank, have a favorite? Are you kidding or me? Do you have different favorites? Come on. You have to ask about <laughs> my top 10 favorites. <laughs> Just kidding. But really, really, you know what? My favorite is the Grand Tetons National Park in Wyoming. Oh, my goodness. My top. That's my top of all tops. You know, and, and I've actually been to 182 units of the National Park System from Alaska you know, all the way in uh, Denali National Park, all the way down to the U.S. Virgin Islands. And U.S. Virgin Islands, that sort of part. But the Grand Tetons, you know, the Grand Tetons are known as the Oh My God Mountains. You know, you don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. However, right. when you're coming on the highway between um, 
I actually first saw them. I was coming down from Yellowstone, which is just a little bit up the road, and which I love. But then you come around the corner and you see this incredible wall of mountains jutting up into the air, seven peaks. And the middle one has a little cloud around its highest, highest. The bottom is in the river, and across between the river and the road are acres of meadows covered in flowers, lupine and purples and yellows and reds and Indian paintbrush. And oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. It really acts on your heart. One time we took a group there, and my girlfriend in the car, she fell back into her seat and said, Oh, all this beauty is wearing me out because she was exclaiming <laughs> so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but France is Zion National Park you know, in um, Utah because he says that you feel Zion before you see it because the spiritual energy, the power of God that is there is so strong that, you know, you feel, even as you're approaching, you're drawn into it. And then, you know, we, we were setting up our tent that night and friends said, Oh my goodness, the earth is so resistant, you know, you put in the you put in the the thing to open up the the earth to put in the tent uh poles and it closes up as soon as you open it, it closes right back up, you know. So there's a tensility of strength there that it's just oh my goodness, it's fascinating. Wow. Um we, we try to Fit Zion into our trip out west, and we chose Carlsbad over Zion. Um, yes. And for you know, for me being you know creation care sustainability person, I'm glad I got exposed yes. to what's happening in Southwest New Mexico, although it was just tragic. But you know, one of the things that I think is so cool about the national parks, sometimes like it's easy to figure out how somebody found the Grand, Grand Canyon, right? There, there's no hiding the Grand Canyon. But you get down to there, a Carlsbad National Park, and you're like, how did they even find this? Because it is the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You know, I have not read the story yet of, um, you know, who discovered, who found the national parks, who, you know, from the Western world, I mean, mm-hmm. other than the Native Americans, who found, who discovered, who stumbled upon the national parks. I would like to know what their reaction was. But the other national park that I have to mention is Olympic in uh, Washington State because until I got there, I didn't know that there was rainforest in America, you know, and yet the whole rainforest, oh, my goodness, part of Olympic National Park is so stunning and amazing. So, you know, I know that Americans love to take their children to Disney World, Disneyland, et cetera, and to uh, theme parks. However, the greatest, the greatest gift that you can give to your children is to bond them to the land and to have them see the country that they're growing up in, have them see what it's really like and discover the stories because the other story is that every race and gender of Americans, you know, played a significant role in the development of our national park system and the protection of our national parks. But most people don't know that and you won't know it until you go out into the park. And he learned those stories. Well, and I think that's that's really a great. I mean, look, I, everyone loves the parks, right? And but the the reality of it is that we get sort of stuck in. Oh well, we'll do Disney every year, and um, you know, variety is the spice of life, to use a cliche. And so, you know, Natalie, Natalie, please. Um, no. 
so she she also wrote a book and she talks about how you know that you really need to get out into the parks um or into nature and 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 experience nature and like you said you know if you're like my family who like the idea of we couldn't even get a chin up i mean we it would just be you know it would just be hilarious to watch my family put a chin up but um you know that you can you can have your creature creature comfort and still enjoy the amazing amazing bounty that we have and i mean we're just stupid blessed in america if you think about it right i mean well what, you know, one of the things that we right that we got to the grand canyon and so my nephew's um 15 and we had gone to dc um a vacation before that and um and we were and i you know i was going through identifying all because you hear so many different languages in, in washington dc well, you hear a lot more different languages in the Grand Canyon. I had no True. idea how much of a a destination this is for so many people outside of the United States. So we heard Ex- Portuguese, we heard French. At some point, he goes, he goes, Auntie Beth, Auntie Beth, what's that language? I'm like, we're well, now in France because we were just surrounded with French people. <laughs> now we got yeah. the Grand Canyon in France, but it is yeah. amazing, and and it also proves that God. You know, God wants us all to be together, right? That everybody. Well, you know, I have to tell you this, right? The mm-hmm. the national parks, the the convention and visitors bureaus in areas adjacent to national parks, they're called the gateway communities outside national parks. They advertise profusely in Europe and Asia, okay? Uh-huh. But they don't advertise in America, so Americans don't get to know what's available is either you're, you know, predominantly a white person and with a smattering of people of color, you know, have this tradition of going to the parks every year, their family, they grew up camping, etc. But other than that, there are millions of Americans who don't even know that there's a, such a thing as a national park system and that it's the best vacation destination on earth. I didn't even know they advertised in Europe. That makes a lot more sense. I mean, because it was crazy. Yes. I mean, we were there in August, That's... and I was like, I can't believe how many people are here, you know? Well, um, we took Europe. a group there once. We took a group there once, right, in 2000, in fact. And um, uh, we took a couple of young people from, including some people from South Central Los Angeles, and they cried. These guys who said, you know, every time we come out of our house, you know, we could get a bullet, Right. And mm-hmm. they went to the Grand Canyon. They cried. They said, people in my neighborhood need to know that this is here, that life is not, not just from the courthouse to the jailhouse, you know. And they, wow. they got upset, too, seeing all the foreigners. They were like, how do all these people know that um, this is here? And I didn't know. And that's when we went looking and found out that, you know, the CZBs advertised heavily overseas but not in America. So so it's an open secret to us, you know. We don't even know. I, 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 you know, it's hard to get me speechless. I'm a good Southerner. I like to talk, but I'm sort of speechless for that, that revelation, right? And that is a revelation. Yeah, and, and you know the dangerous part about that? Here's the dangerous part about that. It's wonderful that, you know, people from other countries can come here, but it's only people who vote. You know, and only Americans can vote. It's only the people who can vote here that really can make a difference for our national parks because Congress appropriates money for the national parks, right? They appropriate the budget, right? 
And the president proposes right. a budget. I mean, the budget that he has proposed is like so terrible because it does not even begin to cover what the parks need, you know. And here's the thing, Beth, you will appreciate this. I often wonder why, instead of trying to drill the national parks, right, why right. not do a, a, a public information campaign that lets people know our parks are here as vacation destinations. Why not make the money from ecotourism, you know, something that has low or no impact, you know, duh. Yeah. And, and, and that, I mean, that I'm actually, I'm actually thinking about like how I can do public announcements about the parks. (laughs) What can I do to let people know, right? Right. Right. So, um, and, and it's just tragic, right? I mean, there should at least be an ad campaign where, you know, the National Ad Council Association basically they negotiate pre-advertising, um, you know, for these things, and um, and then the the media outlets like the radio stations and the TV stations can actually take a tax deduction for running free advertising. But you got to have right. the campaign. Right to run the advertising. I mean, so we really could well, run free advertising if we just had a campaign. You know. Well, you actually mm. have to be careful of the words you use because the Park Service says they're not allowed to advertise, right? And we say, hey, well, when is when is you know public information ad- advertising? If the people don't know and you're informing them, is that advertising? But then you know, you and I are presuming that we really want people to know about the national parks. In some cases, there are people who don't really want the full spectrum of America to know about the national parks because they feel like they don't want to get the parks overrun with the unwashed masses, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, there has been significant equal. pushback. Equal, right. Exactly. Everyone yeah. should have access. It should yeah. not be an elitist thing. I mean, it's, let's be honest, it's already... Uh, it's already a challenge, right? Um, now, look, yeah. the most visited park in the country is the Great Smoky National Park. And, um, right, like and I'm going there at the end of this month. Right. And so, you know, we're talking about all these iconic places out west, and that's not particularly easy for everyone to get to. I, I totally understand that. Um, right. But, you know, there's plenty of parks on the East Coast. So two-thirds of the U.S. population which is about 220 million of us, live east of the Mississippi River, right? And and right. so, you know, I understand, but, you know, if you're in the Northeast, you can go to Arcadia. If you're in if you're in Florida, you can go down to the Everglades. You know, if you're in, you know, the South, you can go to uh, the Great Smoky National Park, which I love. That has a special place for my family. When we were children, we did. We lived on the beach, so we went to the mountains for vacation, and we went to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park several times. We didn't camp, but we, yeah. you know, we went several years in a row. And so right. I just think that, you know, yeah, it's great to talk about the, all the places out west. But if you're on the East Coast, and that's not your thing, you know, you don't want to fly, you don't right. want to pack the family into a car right. and be with them right. that many length of time. That there's plenty of stuff that you can go do on the East Coast that that is part of what we pay for taxes, and it's part of what we uphold as our American value. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, I I just have to share that. Well, you know, there's a national park in every state. Every state has a national park, and every state has multiple historic sites that are part of the national park system. 
But I just have to share with um, our listeners the fact that uh, Teddy, President Teddy Roosevelt, who is known as the mm-hmm. great conservationist, he said, he challenged us, and I think he's challenging us now from the grave. He said um, that no people on earth have ever inherited a greater bounty than Americans have with the national park system. And then he said, you know, it is going to be up to us to prove if we are worthy of that legacy. And now I'm wondering, are we worthy? I know that there are lots of people who are focused on helping, you know, uh, prevent the rollback of protections for our national parks. But I believe that every American should support some environmental group be part of the Take Action campaign of some environmental group, you know, the Sierra Club, the National Parks Conservation Association, the Wilderness Society. You know, all of these um, organizations give you the opportunity to reach out to your elected official locally or in Congress about environmental issues. If each of us did something, if each of us recognized the need for us to be involved and do something. Can you imagine what a change that would be? Can you imagine how all of our natural resources would be so well protected? Because, again, our life support system. It's our life support system. We can't live on earth without nature. Duh. Amen. I can't think of a better way to end, Audrey. You've been a blessing. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> I really appreciate it. We're actually about to run out of time. (laughs) I enjoy you so much. Thank you. I do too. So I hope. Bye, everyone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bye, bye. Okay, so we literally have um, less than a minute of time to go. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you're inspired. I hope you have felt the love of God today through this. And we're going to sign out, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of EEM Mom's Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org, and we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. 